0: Hey, what is up, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. Money goes in the tree of patience. Invest. My name is Thomas. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking?
1: I am I'm very fine today, Thomas. I'm just sipping an Apex Predator, of which I will not make any jokes related to it, but it is delicious. I have to
0: ask, did you actually register that URL?
1: I did. I did. It, it oh is registered, God. and it's on my to-do list. It'll already be available <laughs> by now, but it, it's gonna it's gonna happen, man.
0: Are you gonna go to FinCon this year?
1: Mm. We were, we actually bought our tickets at FinCon last year because so we actually it had a blast. Has to be ready for
0: FinCon. Then
1: uh, we're gonna have a product that competes directly with Wealthsimple called <laughs> Money Predator, and it's gonna be ridiculous. <laughs>
0: okay, Um I should introduce our guests so I can catch him up to speed on this joke so guys there we've got michael katchen who is the ceo of um wealth simple which is a i guess would you call yourselves a robo-advisor or is there a better term for you guys you know we hate the term but like um Me we prefer digital investment
2: manager but we'll take it you know i think okay. i used to try and fight it but i think we lost that battle so what
0: kind of investment manager just a digital investment manager. Digital investment manager. Awesome. And you guys are located up in Canada. And as far as I know, um, are you guys the only the only digital investment manager in Canada now?
2: We are not. Um, I think similar to the U.S. and other parts of the world, there are a whole bunch of different offerings in the market. But okay. uh, we are by far the market leader here, which uh, is pretty exciting.
0: That's awesome. Because I know we've had people who don't live here in the States ask us, like, what are their options for digital investment (laughs) managers and other tools like like you can't use Mint in the UK, actually. And we haven't had an answer for a lot of these questions. So it's good to meet you and it's good to know that there is an option out there. Um, And I just want to say, like, before we get started, I was looking at the 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 like team page on your website. And I'm sure that this is just because this is how many people you have employed. But I love that the final page is just dedicated to the dog.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Sir Lancelot has been a really core member of this team from day one. So, we had to that give him tribute there. <laughs> no, it's he's the uh he's the dog of our head of customer service. Okay. And I think um you know, a, a great mascot for for that team.
0: I uh, I used to work at an insurance place when I was in high school and they always had their dogs at work and it was it was pretty great. I think having a dog there is a good perk. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so the the money predator joke um, comes from a story I heard from back in the 90s. So when Amazon.com was coming up, uh, Barnes & Noble has like these two really like brash, aggressive CEOs. And they're like brothers from Jersey. And uh, they wanted to start up a website to compete with Amazon and crush them. And one of the brothers really wanted to call it bookpredator.com. And uh, they very rightly were advised against <laughs> doing that. <laughs> Talk about that on another episode. And Andrew's like, oh, man, moneypredator.com. That's what we're going to change our name to. Uh, and uh, just for the record, I'm not for that.
2: <laughs> but you did register the URL. I think I caught that. You registered
0: yes. It on the podcast. Like while I was talking to him, and set up an email account for it. <laughs> Humble beginnings. beginnings. Yeah, I guess we'll see where that goes, Andrew.
1: <laughs> so, anyway, Michael, yeah. this is not your first rodeo, you, yes. you, you have something that you started before Simple that I guess wet your palate for, for bigger things, um, what'd you yeah. start with?
2: So I wasn't um, a founder of the last business, but I, I joined very early on, uh, we were a, a startup out of Y Combinator in San Francisco uh, called A Thousand Memories. And we were operating in a totally different space, um, had a lot of success with like the family history, genealogy community, um, built that business over a few years and sold it to Ancestry.com back in 2012. Um, and that was really the genesis for for Simple, that sale and some friends of mine looking to invest their proceeds and not really finding an option they were excited about and deciding to build it.
0: So what gave you the idea to move from genealogy to digital investing? <laughs>
2: It's a great question. It's a,
0: not an obvious
2: link. Um, <laughs> so um, I've been investing forever. I've been investing ever since I was 12 uh, when my sister entered me in a charity stock picking contest that I ended up winning. And uh, it inspired a lifelong interest in investing for me. And mm-hmm. so when we sold the business, you know, my friends uh, came to me naturally just asking for investment advice And I decided to build a very simple spreadsheet because my philosophy at the time was it's so easy to manage your own money, it really doesn't require that much work, just because I've been doing it for so long, that why don't you do it yourself? And here's a simple Excel spreadsheet, shows you how to rebalance it, make it really easy for you to just log in once a month, you know, make some trades and be done with it. And the feedback they gave me was, Mike, we love this approach, but we're lazy, we're overwhelmed, can you just do it for us? Uh, (laughs) And they became the first employees, and then the first clients of of Simple And we've kind of iterated on on this since then.
1: And where did this happen? Was this in Silicon Valley? So uh, we sold the business while we were still in Silicon
2: Valley, but I soon thereafter moved back to Canada. So mm-hmm. our our beginning as a company was was based here in in Canada, in Toronto. Um, but two of my co founders have been based in New York uh, for virtually our entire kind of lifetime as a company. So we have a New York. Office of about 10 people, and our US presence has always been a really important part of, of the company and the team.
0: So, with you guys being physically in New York, is that what you need to do to be able to offer your services to people in the States, or was it just was there like a different motivation behind that decision?
2: Yeah, I mean, our aspiration is to build one of the largest and most innovative financial services companies globally, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was fortunate for us that we started in Canada. Um, you know, being able to grow up in this market, establish a, a market leadership role here. But very quickly, our aspiration was to expand to other places. So we're live. We've been live now in the U.S. market for about five weeks. Uh, the response has been incredible. Um, you know, I think we had it on our website that we're looking at some European opportunities uh, to come and oh, hopefully cool. later on this year. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we've done pretty early on, which is unique, is um, so many of the businesses in this whole space of online investing and fintech broadly are backed by venture capitalists. Um, we right. decided that we wanted to find a strategic partner. We thought that there was a lot of value uh, in doing that. In particular, you know, when you invest your life savings with a company, you really want to know that it's going to be around. Um, and venture capital has all sorts of history of, you know, forcing pivots and IPOs and exits that may not be, you know, at the right time or the, in the best interest of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we aligned ourselves with a company called Power Financial, which is something you probably have never heard of or most people have never heard of. Um, that owns it owns companies in the U.S. like Great West Life and Putnam. It manages a trillion dollars globally. It's a massive institution, um, and it's one of the few you know truly global financial institutions in the world. So we were really excited about that and their ability to help us take you know this really fantastic product uh, to all sorts of countries uh, and pretty quickly.
1: I really, really admire uh, the, the the global um, ambitions. We. Uh, cover like quite a lot of stuff in the U.S. I mean, we're, we're from the U.S. and there's obviously the the whole slew of people in the U.S. But one of the most common questions we get are from people in Canada or Europe, like you said, like you said, and just like around the world, where they want access to these tools, uh, but there's just not there. Like there was never anything before you guys that we were willing to recommend.
2: Um, well, awesome if you can recommend us. Um. Yeah. You know, I think financial services for good reason has scared a lot of people off from going global historically. Right. It's Mm -hmm. heavily regulated industry. You know, there aren't many global players. So when you think about setting up shop, you know, setting up a back office, a brokerage, a trading platform often means you have to do it from scratch with a whole new set of players. Yeah. Unlike a photos app where you can just launch in, you know, on the Apple app store and you can be live in every country where they operate. And that's awesome. There's a lot more involved in doing that you know, from a, in a financial services context. But my view is the companies that are going to be changing the landscape of financial services of tomorrow are going to be doing this on a global basis. You already see that coming from China. You see just the incredible innovation that is coming out of those companies and how fast they're expanding around the world. That My view is unless you're thinking global, you, you, know, you can't possibly be credible in your mission to, to rewrite what financial services could look like um for everyone around around the planet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, alternative or I guess an additional point to that is if you're not thinking global, like there's somebody else who probably is. So it's in your best interests for the long term survival of your company to do that as well. I would agree. I would agree. So I'm curious if you're um you guys are now in the US, you've been in the US for five weeks, did you essentially have to build an entirely new back end of the business based on a different partnership with a different financial institution? um, to work in the U S and also like from the customer's point of view, are your Canadian investors invested in different products than your U S investors? Or does everyone get to basically put their money in the same bucket of mutual funds and investments that you guys have analyzed and determined to be the best ones?
2: Yeah, those are great questions. Um, so given, given the regulatory framework of the space and also investor preferences it is a kind of localized U.S. offering and a localized Canadian offering that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the U.S., we did have to integrate with a different brokerage. We're, we're built on top of Apex, which is a very um, popular choice amongst these new kind of technology forward players in the space. Uh, in terms of the investment portfolio, we use ETFs. Uh, and our portfolios in the U.S. do look very different than, than that in Canada. I mean, every country around the world has what's called a home bias. Okay. So Americans like to invest in, in American companies and bonds. Uh, right. Canadians like to invest in Canadian companies and bonds. I think most people around the world should do their best to limit home bias. You know, mm-hmm. if you're building a long-term investment portfolio, you really want to reflect what the global economy looks like. Um, so, uh, but we had to tailor it. You know, in Canada, we have a Canadian equities ETF, a Canadian bond ETF. I don't think Americans would really that would really resonate as an offering with, with an American audience. So, so we localize right. that for sure.
0: So people in America know they're getting, you know, say like some Vanguard funds or something. And then I don't really know what the, the main investment ETFs are in Canada, but I could see how people there might not know what we offer here. Exactly. So, so you
2: just got to take that context and make sure the client gets, you know what, what they need to be successful and something that seems familiar and comfortable.
0: Do you see the business moving towards a convergence where you can eventually offer a more standardized and global package to everyone?
2: I think over time that would make a lot of sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, though my feeling is, you know, when you think about investing, there's there's really a few different approaches you can take, right? And and one of the most important things is obviously how the portfolio is constructed and the portfolio returns over time. Right. But, but the reality and something that often gets neglected is um, that often differs greatly from how the investor performs over time. You know, your returns as an investor might be very different than the performance of the funds that you own. And so making sure that you account for all the behavioral components of investing, make sure that you help an investor understand what's going on so they make good choices, make disciplined choices about their investments, is really a key component to setting yourself up for long-term investment success. Mm -hmm. So I think home bias plays a part in that.
1: you know, humanizing and
2: making it relatable.
1: I'm fascinated with the behavioral end of it. Uh, What do you guys do to try and make sure that people don't self-sabotage? Because I know that's kind of like the default behavior in investing.
2: So there's lots. I mean, you know, you asked the question at the start, do we consider ourselves a robo-advisor? The reason I hate the term is, is, we actually think we're the most human financial services company in the world. And you know, when when you think about—I I don't know if you've checked out our website or the advertising that we do, the content that we're writing—our view is is so much about uh, the problem with finance today is it's designed to overwhelm, it's designed to confuse, you know, regular everyday people. You know, mm-hmm. How many people get like really excited, feel they have their arms wrapped around their money, know exactly what's happening, like to talk about oil prices and interest rates, have an outlook on next quarter? That's just not how most people interact with or feel about their money, that stuff overwhelms them. So we're trying to humanize it. Um, We try to talk to people about terms they understand so that they can understand just the basics, the simple Mm -hmm. basics of smart investing, like getting started early, contributing to your account, simple things like diversification. Um, And that's our view is, is the more you can humanize the experience of investing, the more you can actually help people make better, more informed decisions.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I got to say, I I love... The design of your site, it's
1: mm.
0: – the little animations on there are so cool. Thank uh, you. And, and Just like the little coins going down and everything. Oh, it's great.
1: I have to say I loved your your other homepage before this one. Like before <laughs> we were even like fans of your product, I was like obsessed with your website and your blog. I mean you, you literally – Was there taken, a previous one? Yeah, and they had these um, videos of like you and your older self and basically oh. – yeah it was, it was an interesting concept and I, I think uh, what you've built, Michael, really does like have a, a personal aspect to it. Um, you know what's
2: crazy um, is and most most of our investors thought we were crazy when we did this that last website we had with you and future you mm-hmm. it, it won the award last year we were really fortunate and excited about this. We won the Webby as the best financial services website in the world you know it was a big New York ceremony the webby's it's like the Oscars mm-hmm. of the internet, right? Yeah. Um, and you've seen it now. I mean, six months later, we actually tore down the website and rebuilt it from scratch.
1: That's madness. Why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> was it just you know, not performing in the right metrics, or
2: no? It was performing exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know that—that's the approach we take to to building the business. Is you know the pace of change in financial services is really exceptional, and there are two approaches you can have to that. One is you can kind of try and keep up and watch everyone else, you know, change around you and try and implement the latest and the greatest features that you see around you or two is you can try and be on, you know, the leading force, the driving edge of change. Yeah. And so our view is we'd much rather be, be on that side of the fence and, you know, decided to do, you know, disrupt ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. and it was a risk, but you know, people seem to love the new website, uh, all the conversion numbers, all the stuff that, you know, matters also. And when, when you think about building this through a, a technology, uh, delivery, um, have gone up. So it's, it's been a great experience with that.
0: I really, appreciate I think one thing that. that really stands out to me is this magazine you guys are doing, uh, Thanks. cause not like every other, you know, all the other places that, you know, do financial services, they have a blog, but I ran across this Anthony Bourdain article yesterday on Hacker News and I read the whole thing and I was like, that's really cool. And that's not something I really expected to see on like a, you know, a financial investing tools website. I usually, you know, I usually expect to see more of like tutorials on specific investing terms or things like that. But it looks like the entire concept here is based on like stories of individual people. And I think that's really different and really cool.
2: Thank you. Um, you know, again, it's, it's all about how do we just make money human for people that Mm -hmm. I think so much of the problem is it's a taboo to talk about money. You know, we don't know people's real stories, struggles, you know, excitements when it comes to money. And I thought, I love the Anthony Bourdain piece. I think it's actually one of the best we've we've done so far.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's such a cool story, right? He talks about until he got famous, he went 10 years without paying taxes. He didn't start a, he didn't start a savings account until he was 44. You know, where do you find out this real stuff about people's yeah. struggles with money? Um, I just think it's, it's, you know, it's cause for good conversation that helps people make better decisions.
0: I think that article was also great because it just kind of put into perspective like you it's never too late to do something awesome because it, it made it very clear like he was 44 and you know until until he was in his 40s he was basically just a cook and hardly ever had more than just paycheck to paycheck type money always owed people money and now he's ridiculously successful um Steve Carell is another really good story in that vein where like he didn't really become a well known actor until he was over forty years old. And I think a lot of people will see like all these, you know, teenagers getting 20 under 20 and all these like founders of businesses who are in their early twenties and think like, oh, it's too late for me to do something great. Or, you know, like in an investing case, it's too it's too late for me to start investing and start actually building my future. Well, it's not actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's totally right. And I think there's also, you know, a, a sense of You know, we talk personal finance and there's a whole bunch of general rules and, you know, broad frameworks for how you should manage your money. You know, pay yourself first, try and contribute X percent of each paycheck, pay down your debt. But the reality is everybody's journey with money is very different. Mm -hmm. And the actual thing that matters is figuring out what works for you. You know, you might not want to you know, go, you know, have the beach house at 65 or the sailboat at 65 that I think a lot of banks would portray as in their ads is like, that's the aspiration of retirement. Right. Um, and you know, it's, it's helpful to just hear about what other people value and what are the different ways that they've made that work for themselves. Mm
1: -hmm. What do you value me? I, I have
2: one money aspiration that, um, is the one thing I want, which is I want a small piece of land Somewhere outside the city that's quiet that I can escape to. I, I grew up kind of as a big outdoorsman and it's it's nothing does anything for me um, like getting out in a canoe on a lake somewhere and you know kind of total quiet. And yeah. I'd love the means to be able to have that someday. And you know, that that to me is kind of the financial freedom that I someday desire and, and, and hope for.
1: How do that you would tie be awesome? How do you tie like that like aspirational goal? to like you now like i like because i think a lot of people resonate with that but the, the path there is, is seems so crazy clear. right <laughs> yeah like how do you get there
2: so you know um we wrote an interesting blog piece on this too um you know the home the idea of even owning one home one day seems crazy to people now um in so many cities around the world where housing prices are you know through the roof Um, So the idea of owning a second home or a vacation property probably just seems like a pipe dream. Uh, Mm -hmm. We wrote a blog post about, well, can you reframe what that means for you? And we wrote a post on how you could build your own tiny house for Mm. $29,000. And the idea behind that was, you know, how do you take something that seems so aspirational like a vacation home, which may feel like it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to do that, and try and make it really accessible? And, um, you know, we wrote this great blog post that shows you the step-by-step guide to doing it yourself. And, uh, to me that that's how I think about it is, um, you know, how do you reframe these things to work
0: for you? That's awesome. We'll have to put that in the show notes. Do you happen to already know the figures for what it would take for you to get that piece of land? And do you have a piece of land that like, you already have your eye on?
2: I do. Uh, okay. I would, say, I would say I have the, uh, the aspirational piece of land and then the, you know, if the aspiration doesn't work out, a uh, piece of land back up as well. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I, I've always had this sort of dream that maybe when I retire and get old someday, I have like a lake house. I remember um, like a distant relative of mine had one. And it was just always so cool to go there in the summers. But for now, um, I guess my goal is I, I'm moving to Denver in like two weeks. So just, have access to all that nature and be able to afford it. And then I guess like my big money value is be able to provide for my parents if I need to later in life and, uh, keep my business growing.
1: I I think yours is
0: very freedom based too, Andrew. Right.
1: Yeah. I I want just time to spend with family and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, my one thing that I keep like, thinking on michael is um there there aren't you know i know you said there are robovisors in canada but like you guys are clearly the biggest one and and kind of like the go-to one um and and i I get like uh the global aspirations of being relevant but why why come to the u.s you know because there's a lot of competition and and why come now
2: both i think are um are like really big, hard questions to answer. But my view is, like I said, I think to be credible in that aspiration, you need to be a little naive about the business that you're building. Um, and so now is is a great time because while we're still just a, you know, almost three-year-old business in Canada, um, I think we've attre- achieved an enormous amount of traction in, in a much smaller market that gives us a lot of confidence that Americans want what we're selling to. So you know we have about 25,000 clients in Canada after three years. Um, and Canada's a tenth the size of the US. So if you think about that, that traction, it, it's pretty remarkable I think what we built here. And when I look at the US market, while I'm so excited by how much activity there is in the space, the reality is um, it's still so small in the context of financial services. So, the problem that we're trying to solve, which is helping people be smart about their money, you know, not keep it in a savings account, in you know, under their mattress. If they're sitting in a high fee fund, helping them make better decisions about how to, you know, build a better portfolio and and get to where they need to be long term, those problems are as big today as they ever have been, notwithstanding mm-hmm. the great activity in this space. So for us, you know, taking our model, which we see as a little bit novel relative to a lot of the American players, given our combination of great automation and technology with human, live human advisors that have been core part of our model from day one, our approach to how we talk about money and the humanization of that, which we think is pretty distinctive. And we think that can play a really big role in solving that problem. So for us, there's just a huge problem to go solve. We think we've got a product that plays a big role in solving it. And luckily for us, we have a huge backer in Power Financial that's given us $50 million to date um, manages a trillion dollars around the world to go and you know do our best to try and make progress against that problem for people all over the world, and, and we're really excited about that.
1: So yeah, absolutely. I see companies like, or you know, I I love Fidelity. I keep quite a lot of my money there, you know, and they have they have this thing called Fidelity Go, which is a robo advisor. Um, but we we've never been interested in talking about Fidelity Go because it, it just. I feel like they're just copying whatever other people are doing, kind of slapping it together, and it's it's there. There's no uh, like north star, right? And and I see you guys, and I I think you're doing something awesome. Uh, and you have this human component, like you said, like one. Can you explain it? And two, why? Because I thought the future is that computers rule the earth and tell us what to do.
2: <laughs> it's a yeah, so. For us, our view is the best solutions combine people plus technology. And you know we've, we've had a lot of experience with that model in Canada. And, and, and the reason we think it works so well is money, money is such a sensitive topic. You know, This is your life savings, this is your future, this is that freedom, that aspiration you talked about earlier. Being able to live the life you want, spend time with your family, own your lake house maybe someday. And while computers can do a pretty good job of, of helping you, you know, manage that and automate it and operationalize it, there's a whole other side, this human side of investing that really humans are much more equipped to help you get there. And we mm-hmm. think the combination of those two things is a really powerful way to help set people up for success. So in our model, the way that works is it's, it's a very client-driven experience. So you know, h- historically, You know the way humans were involved in investment management was all about the relationship, right? And and maybe even some people would argue it was a sales-based relationship, right? People tried to sell you a a fund. Um, The beauty of technology is it kind of takes all of that away because you sign up, you know, through this website or an app, and it's super simple. You know, it's not about meeting someone who's trying to convince you to give you all their life savings on day one. You've got to kick the tires and test it out, but you have access whenever and however you want to a human advisor if you ever. You know, if you lose your job and you want to speak to someone about what does this mean for my money or you know, someone unfortunately passes away in your family, and you're trying to think about, oh, I just made an inheritance and I don't really know how this impacts my life and my future and, and help me think about that or I just got a new job, I'm in a new tax bracket, I don't know what to do. Those sorts of questions, while technology may help solve them and I think we'll do a much better job of doing that over time, a human being is still really helpful. And even having access to a human being if the markets tank and wanting to just speak to someone for two minutes to reassure you that, hey, you know, don't forget you're in this for the long term and we talked about this once before, there's a key you know, value proposition about discipline when it comes to investing. Those are really powerful cues. And mm-hmm. so our view is the combination is, is, is a really winning formula.
1: Michael, so how does this work? Like can I literally call up the phone and be like, well simple, help. I just lost my job. Like, I, I need you know like to what extent um, is the people part of Well Simple there?
2: I mean, I would encourage you to take us up on it. Um, we've got a great team standing by to do exactly that. And I think the way we make it work and the way we make it scale is where the technology comes in. I mean we're you know a team of 80 people, half of our team are, are software engineers and product designers. and they are constantly taking feedback from those phone calls. And trying to feed it into the product. So, like you said, we are—you know—we're not dogmatic about humans are the only solution for the future. And we always want our technology to solve more and more problems for our clients. And the way we do that is we pair our software engineers, you know, with those that our clients are sharing with our investment advisors and our client service team, and making sure that that always makes its way back into the into the product. And we think that's the way we're going to scale it: is always throwing technology at problems rather than more people at the problems.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Michael, with you guys getting into the U.S. market now, I think like the at the end of the day, the greatest metric that a customer or potential customer is going to evaluate you guys on is the return that they get for putting their money in. So um, I know you're like, you guys are really big on the human element. Um, with all the different options that are out there, the management fee you guys charge is higher than some of the other options out there. So what's, what decision drove that, um, that higher management fee versus the competition? And what do you guys offer? Are you guys confident that you can beat the returns of other investment firms to justify that?
2: Yeah. So I, I would say a few things. One is, you know, like I've said, I think from the start of our conversation, uh, we don't see ourselves as the typical run-of-the-mill robo advisor, mm-hmm. and so if what you're looking for is just an automated solution, um, you know there are going to be cheaper options out there. And, and by the way, you can even do it cheaper if you decide you want to do it yourself. And if you have the discipline and the knowledge right. and the wherewithal to do it, that's your best option. Um, I would argue, and I think you know, being a manager of your money, if you have the discipline, actually helps also with the behavioral components and all the rest of it. It's a great thing to do if you can. Yeah. When you think about models that are a little similar to ours, where human beings are part of it, we're actually um, lower cost than most, if not competitively priced with all. Um, You know, the day we launched in the US, another player um, in the market, one of the larger players that's been around for a while, actually introduced human beings to their model and raised their prices to be very similar to ours. And in fact, if you invest more than a, a couple hundred thousand dollars, we end up being a less expensive service with the human component involved. Mm -hmm. Um, so for us, you know, I, I think more of the, that sort of hybrid model, um, rather than the true, uh, pure robo where, you know, you're kind of in it on your own, uh, lowest cost option. And when you think about the marginal extra fee we charge, which is really small, um, you get a lot for that. You get a lot more service for that.
0: Okay. And so with, the ability to call in and talk to somebody, I mean, is that an ability that's reserved to somebody who has a certain amount invested with you or can like literally anybody do that? So
2: anybody can do that. Um, we don't have an account minimum. And, we, you know, a big part of our, our model is the promise that access to investment advice. Mm-hmm. So no matter how much money you have, you know, we're trying to help people access these great services as as your as your account size progresses with us, the services we offer expand too. So we have a premium tier we call Well Simple Black. You know, with that comes, you know, a little bit more detailed financial planning. So you can book a financial planning session where we actually do a, a much broader, um, you know, overview with you of your goals and, and dig in depth about where, how we can help you get where you want to be. Um, you also get some other fun perks like airport lounge lack access and all the rest of it and a, and a, a slightly lower fee. Um, but the idea is access to investment advice no matter what your investment account size is. I would say we we also, you know, again, to this point of being a human advisor and, and the slightly, you know, more we charge for that, um, we're also differentiate in other ways. We offer a socially responsible investment portfolio. I think we're one of the few to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's because we hear from our clients that the thing that they care about is not only that their investments return them, you know, make a good return over time that gets them where they need to be, but also reflects their values. And so I think right. the thing you can expect from us is, is, we listen to our clients and we're trying to build a service around their needs. And I think people have found that for what we charge, which is a half percent or, you know, 0.4% for more than a hundred thousand. It's actually a really low cost service for that level of, um, really low cost for that level of service.
0: Okay. Uh, what was the decision for having airport lounge access as part of the black tier? (laughs) I found that to be like, I mean, it's cool, but it seems like a little out of left field.
2: Yeah. So, you know, um, for us it's like again back to this idea of human right so so many clients that we have are investing for the freedom to travel someday and you know this idea that they want to go on a trip around the world or or that's maybe the goal that they're saving towards and so for us um this was just a little bit of a nod to that which was we're trying to help you simplify your life and live an awesome life and get to focus on the things you love because we're worrying about your money for you and so when you go traveling here's a little here's a little perk on us to enjoy that, you know, awesome experience. Um, okay. so that was, that's kind of how it all fit in.
0: Yeah. So, I think that's pretty cool.
1: So I fly a lot. And if, if I have a hundred thousand sitting with you guys and qualify for black, I will just always be able to go to airport VIP lounges.
2: And you can take a guest with you. How about that? <laughs>
1: that that's pretty awesome. My I wife, mean, my wife's with me regardless. And, and, uh, <laughs> Hmm. You better that's, take her then, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was going to say, a if, if, I can get a go, if I get to go in the lounge and have drinks and she has to watch through the window, I don't think that's it's fair.
0: <laughs> do you guys do uh, tax loss harvesting?
2: We do. Uh, we do an, on accounts of greater than $100,000.
1: Okay.
0: Do you have plans to bring that down to lower accounts or, or not? You know, it's, it's something we're actually
2: researching. I know the, in, in the U.S. there has been broad um, movement towards tax loss harvesting for every, everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, our view is is that might not make sense for a few reasons okay um one is um well you know in general you have to be investing in taxable accounts first for that to matter and you know most people if they're saving in a 401k or an ira um, or the equivalents in other countries that sort of tax optimization is is not really relevant and then when you Mm -hmm. think about um other components in terms of the way tax loss harvesting has benefits is over time, you know, deferring your taxes into the future. You know, if you have an ETF that's trading at a loss and you bank that loss today with the hope the ETF will recover, you'll have a gain in the future where there be, will be taxes. Well, the key is, is your tax bracket going to be higher in the future than it is today? And if so, it may not actually be optimal um, to offer that to everyone. And, and much of it depends on what your tax bracket is. So, We're actually still researching the optimal way to do this. Um, but one, Mm -hmm. one easy test is if you do have a hundred thousand to invest, it's most likely you would tick the boxes on, on what would make sense today for that. Um, while we research kind of our our views on, on how to optimize the rest.
0: So you're saying that if somebody goes up a tax bracket later in the future, then tax loss harvesting actually does not benefit them.
2: Well, that wouldn't benefit them as much because you would be deferring your taxes that you'd be paying today at a lower tax bracket to taxes you'd be paying tomorrow at a higher tax bracket.
0: Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, I really like what you guys are doing. Uh, again, I freaking love the website. Like, <laughs> kudos to whoever designed these wooden flippy things. Like, they're super cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. We're, uh, yeah. we're lucky. We have a really talented design team. You know, they did our, I don't know if you saw our most recent ad, with, uh, Tony Revolori, who's the kind of lobby boy from, um, uh, from the grand Budapest hotel.
0: Oh, but, uh, I love that movie so much. Yeah. So that's one love, of my favorites from the past few years. It's a, uh, it's a classic
2: and, um, he does a great job in our ad and it's, it's our creative team that does it all in house. So just a really lucky to have a very talented team doing this, um, you know, awesome, awesome creative work.
0: Was that an initial decision up front to do all of your creative work in house? Yeah, you
2: know, one of my one of my
0: co-founders,
2: a guy named Rudy Adler, um, is just, you know, an incredible creative talent who's, in, you know, an exceptional talent in his own right and managed to build a team around him of, of unbelievably capable uh, design talent and copywriters. And given that we think that building a brand that resonates with people is so powerful in, in financial services and mm-hmm. such a huge opportunity, uh, we wanted to build that in-house and we wanted to be able to own that kind of core capability.
0: Awesome. So Michael, I know we can send people to the website. We'll have a link to talk or to give them at the end of the episode, but I know since you're putting so much focus on the magazine here, I mentioned the Anthony Bourdain article, which I really liked. I thought it was a great insight into his life and his mindset. Um, what's another like piece that you really like and really proud of that people should go check out. You know, we have this awesome one. Um,
2: where we tell the story of a hairdresser, um, who I'm just trying to figure out, remember the name he, um, he is, uh, someone that designed kind of the, he did the hairstyles for, um, some people when uh, some of the most famous actors and actresses, uh, like the night of the Oscars, right. When they were the ones that were nominated to go win an Academy award. And he Mm -hmm. tells this unbelievable story of while he was doing that, He was a drug addict. Um, He was kind of driving a Porsche because he made so much money as a hairdresser, but didn't have his financial life in order and kind of couldn't afford to pay his electricity bill. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a very raw human story about someone that put their life together and got back on track. And I think similar to what you were saying, no matter what their age or stage or the issues they faced before, someone that just managed to put it all together and figure it out. And yeah. uh, the guy's name is Chris McMillan, and it's just okay. an awesome, awesome story. So I checked that one out.
0: Oh, sweet. I just found it. Cool. We'll, think, we'll put that in the show notes. And, uh, Michael, it has been awesome talking to you. Andrew, I don't know if you have any last follow-up questions before we wrap up.
1: Let me uh, know if you do. No. I mean, I was just I was looking at pricing, and um, I, I think they're on par with – I know like Betterment's like the, the elephant in the room. They have a premium 0.5% annual fee tier, uh, requires $250,000 and it says unlimited calls with our team of CFPs. Um,
0: Oh, so what you're saying is if you wanna be able to call Betterment, you have to be at a higher management fee.
1: Yeah, and I guess my question, Michael, is it like, would you say that's accurate? Is that kind of where you guys are gunning for? Uh, well, I mean,
2: I think what's cool is, right, um, I mean, our fee at that, at that level of assets is 0.4%. So we're actually cheaper than Betterment at oh. that level of assets, mm. um, which I think most people don't realize when they, they think we're more expensive. But the reality is we're actually very competitive, if not less expensive with the human component. Um, and I think what's interesting is you know, we launched with this model and, and we've seen the mar- market move uh, to emulate that. So, you know, Betterment launched Human Advisors. Schwab, I think, last week launched Human Advisors. Or maybe it was earlier this week. I don't remember exactly. So for us, you know, this combination is something that we've been doing ever since our inception. It's it's something we believe in, that that yeah. combination of, of human and, and technology. And it's kind of validating and cool to see the market, you know, try and do the same. So I think that's a, a really cool thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even though it is... I guess a lower tier is a little higher than some other options out there. I could see how having the option to call in and talk to somebody is worth that. You know, I I actually pay a financial advisor for part of my portfolio and I pay an accountant for the same reason. Being able to call my accountant up and ask questions is pretty invaluable to me.
1: And for what it's worth, um, personal capital has their own whatever advisor service uh, you have to have one hundred thousand dollars, and they take point eight five percent. Oh, really? It. Yeah. Wow. Which I yeah, thought so was like you, punitively high, but yeah, yeah.
2: So if you look at the market, you know, it actually starts to make a lot of sense where where I think we're priced, and um, and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. we uh, we believe in it, so it's it's worked really well, and we actually think um, it'll work really well in in the states too.
1: Michael, awesome. how long do you uh, rest on your laurels in the U.S. before you move on to conquer Europe?
2: <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that we're resting on our laurels. I mean, we're uh, we're constantly exploring new opportunities, <laughs> and um, luckily we have some pretty awesome partners to help us make that happen. So, stay tuned for some, you know, potentially big news on that in the not too distant future.
1: Is is not too distant? Like fifteen years from now? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully not quite that long. Uh, hopefully, not even you know years from now.
1: Really? So tech moves fast. So you you would say that it is possible that in less than a year you could be in Europe as well. Yes, that's awesome.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, especially for people listening to this in Europe.
1: I literally know thousands of people who have subscribed that would love that.
2: Well, stay tuned. We hope to um, have some information on that pretty soon.
0: Cool. And uh, we also wanted to let people know that if they want to try Wealthsimple and you're in Canada or the U.S., we have a link, which is listomoneymatters.com slash Wealthsimple. And uh, with that, you get up to 10K managed for free, which is a better deal than the one that's on the public website. So if you are curious, check that out. And if you do happen to be in Europe, um, stay tuned for updates.
1: I would say, go put up to ten thousand in Well Simple and then call them and and ask yeah. Them questions. <laughs> yeah, it's true there's
0: really no no cost to that, uh but yeah Michael, thank you so much for coming to the show. This has been excellent chatting with you and uh really liking what you guys are doing over at Well Simple.
2: Thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun,
0: yeah. All right, guys. So if you've got uh, questions about this episode or any other personal finance topic, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com is our email address. So go ahead and email us. We try our best to get back to your questions. And they also help us find topics for new episodes. So you'll be helping us out as well. And you can also find our toolbox with all of our favorite money management resources at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. Uh, So check that out. And thank you for listening. We will see you in the next episode. Later, guys. Later, man.